the one thing for everybody listening, it's always the new normal. Don't let that phrase negative. Like, my business is going to be different this year anyway, right? And it would be different next year anyway. And that's the idea is that we're, we're all that are new normal, right? Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Hey, everyone, Nick Nanton here, and welcome back to Now to Next, where we bring lots of experts from all across the globe and friends, and we talk about what's happening now and what's happening next. I've got an amazing guest for you today, and I told him I was going to give an informal bio because his bio is about as long as mine, probably longer. And uh, so here's my informal bio of Alan Cosgrove. I met him in a Pictionary game at 3 a.m. In, uh, in the UK at a fitness conference in Nottingham, England. So there is my informal bio. But Alan is uh, one of the most respected fitness experts uh, in the world. And just in general, a guy who I go to for, for not only fitness advice, uh, but business advice as well. And so uh, first of all, Alan, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Oh, thanks for having me on. And that is 100% a true story, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, it'll only get worse from there. But uh, no, good stuff. So let's. you have a, an incredibly interesting background. Uh, I know it sort of starting from Taekwondo, but obviously everyone can tell on here that you're not from uh, lower Alabama with that accent. So tell us about just a little bit of life growing up as Alan Cosgrove in Scotland. So I, I was born in, in Scotland, I was born in Glasgow, and we moved to a town called uh, Livingston, which is... Uh, Scotland referred to them as new towns. These are towns that were created um, to move people out of the big cities, right? So, and I think in the US they call them the projects, right? Like that's kind of where, where I grew up. So uh, it's kind of a, a rough time where I grew up. So I got into martial arts when I was young and it just, everything about that decision just changed the entire direction of, of my life because I had a coach at a young age that cared. My dad lost his job. And I, I used to tell the story that my, my instructor taught me for free. He, he didn't. He gave me a job and paid me with lessons, right? So he gave me an opportunity and and an opportunity that looked a lot like work, right? Like that's what it looked like. But it, that sent me to college to study sports science to become a better athlete, which sent me that I taught Taekwondo at a summer camp over here. And then when I finished all my, my education, I ended up moving, moving to the, the U.S., New York in the beginning, where I met my wife, Rachel, and now that and in California. So I evolved from a competitive martial artist to a trainer, to a gym owner, to a business consultant, I guess. Would, would have a, I don't, I, I, those phrases are always so vague, right? I'm a business consultant. I'm like, hmm, I concur, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah. One of my favorites is I, I had a friend one time who moved to LA and I asked him what he's doing. He said, oh, I'm, I'm consulting for this. And it took me like, Took me like six months to figure out that meant he was unemployed. You know, he, he was calling himself a consultant. Uh, but hey, whatever. It, 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 six to one half dozen another. And I guess at the end of the day, you and I pretty much are unemployed anyway. We're unemployable. <laughs> so tell me about this. I, I think you said a couple of things there I, I love digging to. Number one, opportunity often parades around as work and many people miss it, right? Because yeah. most of us, I mean, you either see it or you don't. It's funny, my tennis career we moved to uh, Orlando when I was one. My parents had, you know, tough. My whole family sort of immigrated to the U.S. together from Barbados. And they had some, my dad opened a furniture store and my uncles opened an electronic store next door. And they did, they worked really hard. They ended up opening a car dealership, some big ups and downs. But right sort of when life started to be 
my first memories of, you know, cool clothes and cool shoes. Like when I started getting, I guess, self-conscious, like there's some age as a kid, you start to get self-conscious. Well, that was when everything hit the fan and the businesses weren't going so well. And I also remember I was training uh, a lot in tennis and that is a, I don't know the, the math on martial arts, but I can imagine it's not cheap. Tennis is expensive. Like by the time you're 13, 14, you're going through a pair of shoes a month, a brand new pair of shoes you wear through the soles in a month. Um, it's back in that time. It was like in the nineties, it was about $500 a month for group lessons. And then you'd have tournaments and you'd break strings. It's, it's just expensive. And so I actually remember the best place in town. I wanted to train, but we could not afford it. And he, the guy was amazing. He's a place called Bayhead. Amre Samakia. He said, Hey, I'll work with you. What can you do? And we did odd jobs at the courts. And so I literally remember one day my parents helping me dig a ditch at the tennis court in exchange for lessons, but I never took it for granted. And I always tell people we had way more money or I had way more love than I could spend. It just wasn't, you know, monetizable. Um, So the encouragement that I got has driven my whole life. I mean, I still have amazing parents who are very encouraging, but I think those experiences when we've got to, we've got to put in the extra grit. I think that I'm sure there are other things that can build character in life, but that's, that's a common thread I see in a lot of entrepreneurs. And I'm sure you see the same. Yeah, I think it's, it's little things that I noticed looking back that I, I probably wasn't aware of the lessons at the time. Like the, the first, I got, when I, I worked at a summer camp and then I finished the summer camp and worked at a, a hotel in upstate New York. And it's actually the hotel where the whole area in the Catskills was the inspiration for the movie Dirty Dancing. It was this like Jewish resort hotel. And I got offered either I could be a, athlete, they call it athletic staff, which was really laying out stuff laying out chairs and, and things, or I could be a lifeguard. And I always tell this story and I'm like, all right, so I've got this Scottish accent with a whole bunch of young girls at a resort hotel in the summer. Would you choose the indoor job putting out the chairs or would you choose the lifeguard job? And everyone's like, you choose the lifeguard job. I'm like, that took both jobs because I needed to work, right? I don't need to, like at that age, like what am I going to do a 40 hour work week? That's pointless, right? Then when I was laying out chairs, we were setting up this thing in this room. We were setting up this big square thing. And I was like, what are we doing here? He goes, setting up a boxing ring. There's a guy called Alex Stewart, a heavyweight boxer, who's going to come up here and train for eight weeks. And I was like, oh, cool. So I'm working two jobs at the hotel, and I go down to watch Alex, and I meet his trainer. And his trainer is a guy, George Bennett, who's a legendary uh, boxing guy. Alex is from down in Tampa, Florida. And this legendary coach said, yeah, we couldn't hire a conditioning coach for this guy. So Alex is going to, we'll see how disciplined Alex can be. And I was like, I'll be his conditioning coach. So now I'm working three jobs, right? That job led to me getting a job at a gym. And, and it's, had I just decided to take the one job, I would never have met that guy. I would never have done these things. And it's looking back it, it I the grit is a is a thing I, I hope a lot of people don't have to go through, but it's completely transformative, right? You, can, it, you, you can't come out of that the same person you came in. But it was just, again, it's opportunity looks a lot like work, right? Like it's it, it's the, the, the first job I had in New York, and the, the gym is 5.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m., Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That was the only shifts they had. Uh, if I offered my staff, I've got great staff. If I offered my staff that right now, I'd be on Dateline NBC as a crazy boss, right? But I loved it. I and mean, what an opportunity, right? And it's just, you can look at things differently. 
and that's that's the have a lesson in it. You can see the opportunity, or you can see the obstacle. If it's that internal program. Yes. And so as you know, we're going to talk about if you did that right now during COVID, you'd probably get arrested. Um, first of all, second of all, we'll talk about that in a bit. You can tell I'm in my COVID studio. You can hear my dog barking. He's very upset with the package delivery man or something outside. Uh, so that always makes it interesting. And they only mow my lawn when I'm doing a podcast. So they are doing it right now because they knew that they must have been watching my Facebook. So Please, uh, everyone, enjoy the circus. Uh, that is my life. It's, it's nothing new. Now, you worked at that gym in New York. Um, walk me from there, because I do want to get to your career as a, a consultant. And really what you've done in the fitness space is incredible. And you're your incredible wife, too. I should, probably should have had her on, but I only could get you. And so uh, how, how did you go from uh, working in a gym to deciding you wanted to own a gym? What was that like? I an entrepreneurial seizure, I think, one day. <laughs> Uh, uh, so I was working in the gym in New York, and then I reached the point where the, just the way it was structured, uh, I, was, I, I worked for the gym, and then outside of those hours, I could do training clients, I could work with athletes and different things, and it's a great opportunity. But I cut that I gave back to the gym, um, which was very clear that the gym deserved to make a, a money, like they have risk too. But I started to realize that the, the cut that I was giving them was more than I got paid for the other hours. They paid me back that I could, if I could negotiate a rate, I could cut 40 hours a week out of my schedule and I'd refill them back up. But uh, so it started to really just move into doing things on my own. And, and this is all, this is when independent contracting in gyms was very easy to do, right? It's very hard to do now, particularly in California. And it, it just, it, it's, it's very different. Then it was a little easy. So I, I became independent. And then I got approached by a gym that was going to be, uh, Gold's Gym on uh, Broadway in New York City, and I got approached to run their program. And so I'm there, and I'm I'm interviewing people uh, for for different positions in the gym, and I'm running late, and I got to get back to train an athlete across town. So the receptionist for the gym comes in and goes, "Hey, your eleven o'clock is here." And I said, "Oh, running late." And my my the guy that was doing interviews with me, he was there, and I said, "Hey, is she is she cute?" She's being completely unprofessional, right? And she was like, oh, she's totally cute. And I was like, oh, well, I'll stay. And I, I think I was joking. I don't know, because it's so long ago, because in walks the girl who becomes my wife later, right? And she's from California, and that gym never opened. She's very clear to tell this story that I was never unprofessional and dated a, dated a subordinate. Uh, <laughs> she likes to point out I was never her boss. That's what she likes to, to point out. And uh, so that, that gym never opened, actually. It sold to New York Sports Club. And it's just quite interesting now. When my gym's been open 20 years. That, that gym was, that was 95-ish. Um, that gym sold to New York Sports Club and is now no longer a gym. I think it's a pharmacy on 51st and Broadway. So gyms don't last a very long time. So after that, we moved out to California. And uh, it was one of those things that I all sort of the frustrations I had in my role as a coach at, a, at the gym I worked at out here. I just remember writing them all down and all the things that were bugging me. Like, like I, you can look at things as a problem or you can look at them as a puzzle, right? A puzzle can be solved, right? And it's more exciting to solve a puzzle than to solve a problem. And I just realized that everything that bugged me was related to working at this place. So I eliminated about eight of my top 10 frustrations and added another eight when I opened my own place, right? But it just was... Um, that pivot in direction. And it was now looking back, I just wanted to have my own place to be self-employed. 
I never planned on staff and writing books and speaking and, and doing all this other stuff, but it just it's kind of uh, rolled on into that. And so it was, I, I don't think there was a decision where I'm like, I'm going to open a gym. I just was like, everything would be smoother if I just had my own place to do this. And I could give, instead of giving the cut to the gym, I gave it to a landlord. That was kind of the idea. And then it just, here we are 20 years, 20 years later. Yeah. And so it, it, many of these opportunities do grow out of frustrations. There's so many, uh, and, and the difference between an entrepreneur, by the way, and somebody who doesn't do that is just someone who is not entrepreneurial, I, I guess, because I don't know how they think, because I've never been that way. But like, I, it, the problem drives me crazy enough that I do something about it. Like, I'm, at some point, I'm no longer willing to sit by and say, you know, this, this doesn't work and just keep coming in every day. Now, there are times in my life, of course, everybody's like, where you can't do that. You have mouths to feed. You have, so that's not meant to put anyone down. But, uh, but there's complete opportunity when you're willing to step up and be the one to help, you know, solve the problem or, or step in to the gap. So you, you open your own gym at that point. Uh, is it with Rachel together? You both go in a whole hog or how's that work? Yeah, that's well. Originally it was just going to be me, but very quick. And we were doing this old one-on-one -on -one model, which was very common then. And I think a lot of people are still doing it. So very quickly I was full. And I think probably within a, a week or so, we were always business partners. Um, uh, but she was going to, if this collapsed, she was working somewhere else to support us, I think, if this collapsed. And very quickly, she came on full-time uh, as well. And uh, I think it's a lot of people ask you, what is it like to, to work with your, uh, your, your wife? And I think of it as di different as if we both met 10 years later and we were married to other people, I think she'd have been a great business partner. Like, I think that part works too. Like, it's not just, we're not, I'm, I'm not just in business because we're married. Right. I would have been in business anyway, and she'd have been a great business partner. So that that helps a lot. But very quickly, she was full-time in the gym. And I think to touch on your point, like, I have a rule of threes. If you complain about something three times, that's a sign. You're supposed to be the person who fixes it, right? Or you have to stop complaining, right? That's your, your two options. But I, I can see, uh, I, I think um, entrepreneurial is there's a mindset there where you're you're looking for solutions and you're a little you're you're happy to take the risk and some people are not supposed to do that they're supposed to be someone's right hand man they're supposed to be a soldier with marching orders and and i don't want to say one is better than the other there's no right or wrong with this it's just strong or weak how you're wired we're going to be interviewed on tv for the fitness profession I want it to be me. I don't want anybody else. To, like I want to own it. Some other people are like, I don't want to do that. But I'm like, no, I need, I need to, it needs to be me. No, I don't trust anybody else enough. <laughs> right. So, it, but it's an internal wiring right? that sometimes I wish wasn't there. Right. We can't drive by an empty restaurant without, you know, my mind figuring out how I could, I could just do this one thing a few hours a month and I could crush it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never, never quite a few hours. That's what we all yeah. learn as well. Uh, sometimes we realize that we're uh, we're the lowest paid person on staff, and sometimes we don't realize we're unemployed until it's too late. But that's a, another dilemma as well. As you built Results Fitness, you got incredible uh, you got incredible results and incredible accolades. Uh, everything from consulting for Nike to being you know named one of the best gyms in the country by I think is Men's Health. Uh, tell us what made your gym different. And clearly, you thought differently from the beginning, or at least you you moved into different types of thinking because you became highly sought after to help other people grow their fitness businesses, whether it's inside or outside of a gym. But what was unique that you were doing 
I know there's a bunch of things. So talk, walk me through some things that were unique about results business. One thing I, I, I've always had this sort of wiring where I'm like, there has to be a better way to do this. Always like, all right, what if we did this? What if we did this? And I've got a story right now of, uh, I've got a, a friend of mine and he's, he's uh, approaching his 59th birthday and he wants to do, squat this weight for his birthday. So we wrote up this plan, right? And he's so far ahead of schedule on the plan. This plan is outperforming what we thought it would do. It's working better than we thought, but my mind immediately goes to, okay, we could tweak it now, right? Like, I just, I can't leave it alone, right? So it was always that, this intellectual restlessness that I had, that there's a better way to do this, and I was constantly upgrading. And I've always had this idea, if I can get it out of my head and onto paper, it will start to make sense. So a lot of the time, I would take notes. If I was training you, I would take notes on what worked, what did I say to fix the technique for you? And, and I would write it down. And if I did a hundred words at the end of every training session, then you've got a thesis of your methodology in a year, right? And you multiply that by, by multiple years. And then it was starting to look at, I, I wasn't like, you can get paid because you're good at the thing, but you've also got to figure out how to make money from the thing. And this, there's very few people who are just so talented and so great that they just make money from not understanding business or marketing or anything like that at all. Right. So I think the other thing I did was start looking at, starting reading business books. I was reading business books before anyone in fitness, but I don't say anyone, anyone that I knew was telling me to read business books. And I started looking at this, how to scale this. Like I can't do one-on-one training. How, what if I hired someone and they did something different? And then I was like, well, McDonald's hires people all the time and they don't do anything different. Maybe I could write the methodology and that's how it scaled up. I started training smaller groups and I had staff under me who would do, I would write how to do the program and I would say, here's how I would teach this. So there, I'm, I was replicating myself. I'm from Michael Gerber's book, right? That was the first one, E-Mix, which is yep. just when I first read it, I got so sad because the message comes across is that you're really good at being a trainer and you should stop it. That, and I think that message gets a little bit lost because that's not exactly what he meant. Just right. there's, there's other skills required. So I'd say that was, was the difference that my relentless pursuit of improving the thing, but then my understanding of how to, how to market, how to run a business, how to create systems, how to scale. That, that was ex- the exponential growth, to be quite honest. And a, a lot of this was accelerated in uh, 2004. I was diagnosed with stage four cancer and I was unable to go to work. So I had to figure out how can this business exist without me? And I don't mean like from a, a, a fear of death, although that was on the table. But an idea of I can't go in. Like, I can't do this right now. How can I do it? Right? So it was sitting with pen and paper and all right, what do I do when someone walks? Like trainers will look at McDonald's and they see the fast food and the unhealthiness and they just judge it like that. Where I see that it's it's a multi-billion dollar corporation run by teenage high school kids, right? Like like that's amazing from a business model, right? That you see that side of it. So that was the idea is one of the things with the EMET is we want the system to be run by people with the lowest possible level of skill, right? And that's the that's kind of the the uh, the, the model that I want. That doesn't mean low skill. It just means you don't need you don't need a rocket scientist, a lawyer, 
Yeah, you don't need an expert lawyer when the work can be done by a paralegal, right? There's just so many turning points. I have this whole idea, like a talk I give called the ripple effect, that one, one decision can change everything. But this idea to, to study business. So I started studying uh, business. I think that, that was the breakthrough. Just think about the, the thing that I did was, was almost irrelevant, right? Like you don't go to the Harvard School of the gym business and the Harvard School of the restaurant business. The, the rules of business are the same. The rules of marketing can be the same. And that's the stuff that I, I wanted to learn. I, one of the things that inspired you, as you said, was when you got sick, you could no longer go into the business. You had to figure out some systems. Uh, and by the way, one thing I remember you you teaching that I I think it was mind blowing to a lot of the fitness professionals that when you and I spoke, when we met through John Latoc back in the day in the UK speaking was you, you said they're not, they're not paying you to count. Like anyone can count the reps. Like so many people just think they, and it just, it blew my mind too of like, Hmm, you're right. But I, when I think of a fitness pro, I think they put you on a bench and they count with you and all this stuff. And, and you were, you were at the time talking about they're, they're really paying you to create a program to create results. Now, if they also want to pay you to be their accountability partner, essentially, where you're going to count the reps for them and come in twice a week, you're one of the first people I ever heard separate that into two separate fees, a program fee and then like a, a training, like workout per workout fee. I thought that was very interesting. I didn't want to forget that. But let's go back to you got sick, stage four cancer. And, and I remember this plain as day when you said it yourself, there is no stage five. That's 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 yeah. done. That's in the ground. And so walk through what that was like, because it takes an awful lot of fight to work through something like that. So just walk me through the mindset of that as well. And that's one of the things I talk about with from my, my Taekwondo instructor. Shout out to Derek Campbell back in Scotland. That I think the, the kicking and punching and everything that he taught me was just a piece of what I was getting taught, how to how to grip, right? How to, how to you know, dig deep and, and push, right? What happened is I had been feeling kind of like anxiety and depression and I was going to the doctor and like, I just, like, I'm not, I'm not, something's not right. And then he did all my hormones and everything was coming back low. It just was like a mess, like just everything. And then we, uh, he was going to start adding some antidepressants. I'm going to try that. And then I was just like, and, and I found this lump in my, in my quad. And I just remember his face changing when I said it. And then he had a look and he goes, oh, we'll just have a look at that. And it turned out it was a tumor, right? It was a stage four cancer. And your first question, because like, you're positive, I'm like, all right. So how many are there? How many stages? Like four? I'm like, well, it starts at four. Four is like the base and it goes up to one. He goes, no, four is the, four is the last one. There, I mean, I guess there is a stage five, right? It's called he died from cancer. Right. Right. Like that's the uh, part of it. But it's... Um, when I, remember I said about like if you complain about something three times it's on you to fix it yes. right and you have to take ownership well if somebody in my family had to get cancer then I chose me I don't think anybody else could handle it <laughs> right so not not that I I wanted it but I I mean we talk about every religion in the world and I don't know if people are listening are religious or not but this is something that you notice every religion in the world has some type of phrase ask and you shall receive ask and it shall be given to you right like like an act as if you already have it every religion has something like this when you grow up wanting to prove yourself as a competitive fighter and you're just constantly asking the universe maybe to send you a fight what i meant was a high paid 
martial arts match with Mike Tyson. What it sent me was cancer. So uh, your mother was right. Be careful what you wish for, <laughs> right? That it, it sent it sent me a challenge that uh, I think I was asking for. It just showed up in a way I didn't want it to show up. So part of the lesson then is your thoughts can be powerful, and you have to be aware of this, right? Not to get all metaphysical and under the secret on people, but there's something to this. It, everything I've ever done, I've, I've done two things. You either hire an expert to help you, or you can become an expert. There's your only two options. The, the, the road in between isn't going to work. You have to be the expert or find the expert to help you. Well, this is something that there wasn't enough time for me to become an expert on oncology. So I just listened to what the doctors told me to do. I did my best to not Google stuff myself, <laughs> right? I did my best to just listen to, to the experts and and uh, tell them what they, they wanted me to do. And then and I did that. And then, unfortunately, I, I it didn't. It went away. I went in remission for a little while. And in 2006, I had a stem cell transplant. A UCLA, but that period of time, um, I hated it. Um, don't want to do it again. But there was a lot of growth for me as a person. Right, even in business, just like how how do I create systems when I physically can't be there? And the, the mindset thing is, um, I don't know. What else are you gonna do? Roll over? Right, that's not that that's not in me. I, I don't have that that in me, right? and that's the. Right now, with all the, the shutdowns with, with coronavirus, I, I, I see I see businesses closing and I understand why. And some days it's a really smart decision to move your investment out of a certain investment and put it somewhere else. It's just, it's, it's not me, right? It's not me. I got to, I got to, I'm going down punching, you know? I, 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 let, let's get into that. So you're in the state of California, obviously we would all agree. I mean, there's some conspiracy theorists and some anti-maskers and all this craziness that I don't want to get into. I, I, I'm not a scientist. Let me just say that. So I'm not a scientist nor a politician. Yeah. So let's just talk for real about what we know. Yeah. We know that, you know, we should be careful. There are definitely segments of the population that are more prone to getting the disease. And most of it seems to me, and I learned a lot from reading your post, most of the comorbidities, a lot of them are lifestyle diseases. But you have been shut down in the state of California. You have not allowed to reopen your gym since when? It's been shut down from when to today is September 16th, 2020. When did they make you shut down? March 16th, 2020. It's our six-month anniversary. Now, we were open for three weeks. We were allowed to be open in the middle for three weeks. And we were socially distancing. We, I, I prefer the phrase physically distancing. I think we can still socially interact. We're physically distancing, we're wearing masks, we had no shooting of equipment. We were beyond the recommendations. The, the challenge that I have is I'm not an epidemiologist. Are gyms safe? I don't know. But I can tell you this, that in all states and all around the world, gyms are open. They're just not allowed in California until we hit certain thresholds. And the, for example, if there was an out, I'm in Los Angeles County, if there's an outbreak in Long Beach, Lancaster is 100 miles away in LA County, and it has to close because of that. Anaheim is 19 miles away in Orange County, and it doesn't have to close because it can't be lined. So the physiology of this doesn't start to make sense, right? Even state by state, it can be weird, but county by county can be across the street. LA County is required to do 15,000 tests per day uh, in order to be allowed to have checked that box. And we have to, in order to reopen at 50% for the gym business, we have to have under one 
test per 100,000 population, which is about 100 tests per day. So that sounds okay until you realize the test has a 1% false positivity rate. So we can never get below 150, and this number can never be hit. And that's the arbitrariness of it. So it's uh, it's unfortunate. Um, we've now we're part of a California Fitness Alliance that's taken some action to just you know uh, ask for the scientific evidence that cannot be provided in any other state that gyms are dangerous, and enter that into discovery because we've got enough data showing that after six months they should have this right. But, uh, so it's frustrating. Um, um, I just see it as a puzzle. I pivot. Uh, we go, we did online classes. We have an app that we send people at home workouts. We rented out our equipment. We're doing outside training until the air quality got terrible. Fortunately for me, I have consulting with gyms that are open all over the world. who have reopened and they're, I'm doing things with them. So it, it's, the challenge is, like I said, I'm not an epidemiologist, but every epidemiologist in the country and around the world has, has decided that gyms are safe and should be allowed to open. Just not California, which is getting extremely frustrating now. Like, I, I never thought we'd be the most restrictive state. Yeah, it's like as you said, I'm not an epidemiologist, nor am I a politician. So, yeah, and the super difficult situation. Obviously, a um, couple great lessons there. Number one, you have to. You know, we've all probably sick of hearing the term pivot, but you have to. Other than that, what are you watching Netflix for six months? I mean, uh, there might be enough good stuff to watch. Um, we actually haven't even gotten into Cobra Kai yet. I, I have to hear your opinion on Cobra Kai. But uh, Tony Robbins talks about that human beings require momentum. And so I, I found when all this started, I was a little uneasy because I wasn't sure what to do, how to recreate momentum. But my natural instinct was, how do I start moving again? What does that look like? And that's that's what this podcast is a, a result of, actually, because I had nothing to do but talk to people who were stuck in their homes. And so the other thing about it is, you know, the diversification that you have of you mastered the process of owning a gym, but you didn't stop there. You realized you could help other people. And what a beautiful thing that you have clients all across the globe. So your revenue is split up from a couple of different places, which I'm sure uh, you're very thankful for uh, at this moment as well. So and, and just for reference, for anyone who's listening to this later, the air quality there is so bad because of all the wildfires. How's that going out there, by the way? Yeah. How's it going? Still, still pretty bad. Um, it's we're today is not bad here, but it's. I mean, it, exercising outdoors is out of the question right now. It's just not not safe right now. It, is it climate change? Is it arson? Is it a combination of bad forestry management and arson and climate change? I don't know. Again, I'm not an expert on that. Some of the sheriff's department and the public health department, like the sheriff in particular, he was interviewed on uh, television here, and he said they're not actually going to enforce. There's no indoor operations for restaurants, gyms right now because the air quality is, is so bad. So it's kind of like, a, like a, I don't know how this plays out, but it is the, I think that one of the challenges at the beginning, like when I was in the hospital, you don't want to be, as in, I was in quarantine. With that, you quarantine the, the sick person. You don't quarantine everybody. I was quarantined myself. And the whole psychology is when can I get out of here? When is the finish line? What has to happen for us to get out of here? So I had certain blood markers that I had to hit. So at least I knew every day where I stood as it relates to escaping, right? If that's the phrase that, that uh, I'm, I'm going to use. With this thing, the hard part in the beginning is we're closed down for two weeks. We're now six months into a two-week shutdown, right? That idea of there is no end in sight. 
was the challenge for a lot of people. Like, the, and I, I think pivot the new normal, unprecedented times, and we'll get this together. I, I, I can't even say that anymore. <laughs> right? Like, the, the one thing for everybody listening, it's always the new normal. Don't let that phrase negative. Like, my business is going to be different this year anyway, right? And it would be different next year anyway. And that's the idea is that we're, we're always at a new normal, right? Yep, we absolutely are. Uh, the next thing I want to talk to you about just before we wrap up is one of the things that I've always admired that you've done. I think you've created great systems in your gym and your business for creating culture. I, I interviewed you about it for one of my books. Talk a little bit about how uh, you've created your culture at Results Fitness. And then what I loved about the last time we spoke, we haven't actually spoken in a couple of years, um, was how you were utilizing your culture metrics to actually uh, hold your team accountable. So tell me if you're still doing that and tell me sort of your, your methodologies on culture. Yeah, so it was, it was some stuff from just uh, realizing that a lot of the category killers in business, Nike, Disney, Starbucks, the, the true number one in, in, in their area, all seem to have like a core of honor, right? A core value system. Zappos, Tony Shea's just obsessed about culture, right? Who do I admire? Who do I admire as an athlete as a coach as a celebrity what is it about them i admire what and it starts to be like things like they're honest or they're hard-hitting they're blunt no bs and they start coming up with our sort of core values that results fitness like bring your best so what we did is we established a team a, a common set of core values all i'm looking for honestly is i have my team grade themselves and i have the management team grades them and we're just looking for places where we don't connect, where we disagree. You think you're killing it, and I don't think you are, or, or vice versa. But if you match my core values, I can teach you the stuff. I can teach you the workouts. I can teach you the program design. And Man, uh, I hate those technical difficulties, but I do appreciate you joining me for the show. Alan is great. I'll try to have him on again. I think it's he lost full signal uh, due to the wildfires, and uh, I, I'm assuming that's why. So we had to go on a cell phone, and that – this is obviously not working that great either. So uh, thanks for joining me. I will be back again soon to uh, share some more with you. So thanks for joining me and I'll see you guys next time. Take care. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.